0: God in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come to this place on Sunday to gather in and remember and recognize that the tomb was empty early Sunday morning and that our lives are different for all eternity because of it. Lord, we have worshipped you in baptism. We've worshipped you in songs. We've worshipped you in giving. And now, Lord, we seek to worship you through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word. So, God, in in spite of a foolish and weak preacher, I ask, Lord, that you would speak to us from your word, that you would teach us. Lord, that you would convict us where we need conviction, that you would comfort us where we need comfort, encourage us where we need strength. God, give us hope when we are hopeless. All this is possible through your spirit moving in your word. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. Before we take and open our Bibles this morning, I want to ask you to direct your attention to the screens. We've got a very brief video, and then we will dive into God's word. 7.6 7.6 billion now that's a big number that's how many people they are on earth in the u.s alone estimates say that out of 328 million there are nearly 246 million lost souls men women boys and girls that don't know jesus those numbers seem big but what if we were to focus on the number one The Bible tells us that heaven rejoices every time one person comes to know Jesus. What if we were to focus on the daily conversations, those everyday meaningful interactions for Christ that can truly make an eternal difference in someone's life? We can reach our nation with the gospel. We can reach the millions. We can reach our friends and family and neighbors by starting with one. Who's your one? Church, as we continue to focus on this emphasis, this strategy of who is your one, who's the one person that God has laid on your heart to reach with the gospel, to have those spiritual conversations, I want for us to take some time and look in the book of Acts this morning and see how Paul lived out this who's your one mentality now. Listen, Paul didn't have a clue about anything to do with the North American Mission Board. Paul didn't know that the Southern Baptist Convention would be a denomination. He didn't know who we were sitting here today. It's not like he was using this strategy, but this strategy is in the Bible. We do see a picture of Paul repeatedly finding one I said this last week, and this is still true, that there are more people who come to the gospel from one on one relationships than the thousands and droves of people who come and make an emotional decision one time at some big rally or big event or big evangelism conference. They may come down and make an emotional decision, and some of those may stick and be genuine. But the most effective evangelism has always been one-to-one. So this morning, I want us to take and turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts 24, 25, and 26. Now, we're not going to read all three of these chapters all said and done. We're only going to read about... 30 verses. Okay, so do not panic. We're not going to read all three chapters of this book, but we're going to get a picture of what's going on in Paul's life as he moves from one scene to the next and finds another one to share with. I would encourage you to take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew there in front of you. If you don't own your own copy of scripture, feel free to take that copy that's behind the pew in front of you and keep it as your own. We'll replenish it. We'll replace it. It'll be a gift from us to you. We'd be happy for you to do that. Whether you're looking on your phone or following along on the screen or looking in your actual Bible that's bound and pages in front of you, however you may be accessing the Word. the Lord, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? I'm going to read for us. We're going to skip around just a little bit, so bear with us. I'll always give you the update of what verse we're jumping to, and I'm going to be turning along with you. So follow along with me. When I come to the end of our reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you are grateful for it, I I encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. Let's look together now at Acts chapter 21, 24, beginning in verse 20, man, Acts chapter 24, beginning in verse one, the word of the Lord says, and after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus, they laid before the governor their case against Paul. Now turn with me to verse 22, verse 22. Verse 22 says, But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he had hoped that, Paul would be given, that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. We're going to continue in chapter 25, verses 1 through 5. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem. Because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. Move with me down to verse 9. Verse nine. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried to the Jews. I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to, to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed? To Caesar you shall go. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. Move with me now to verse 21. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Turn with me now to chapter 26, verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. Turn with me to verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, But declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words for the king knows about these things. And to him, I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. Well, except for these chains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When you get to the end of the book of Acts, Paul begins quite a journey. Paul goes to take an offering to Jerusalem... The church in Jerusalem is severely persecuted and they are struggling financially. So Paul brings a gift along with some other messengers so that everything is on the up and up and nobody can accuse Paul of stealing from the coffers, so to speak. So they show up in Jerusalem and they're under a Nazarite vow. They've shaven their heads. They're not drinking wine. There are a lot of different things that are involved in that Nazarite vow. They go to the temple at Jerusalem and as soon as they see Paul... They trump up false charges and snatch him up and seize him in Jerusalem. Then there's this crazy back and forth that happens. And finally, because he's a Roman citizen, he gets before the Roman courts. And so now we follow as he is shown justice and fairness. To some degree by the Romans instead of just having to answer to the Jews and in every situation they're trying to trick the Romans into putting Paul in a vulnerable place where they might kill him in an ambush. That's the whole reason he's in Caesarea in the first place to meet with Felix Felix is the first guy that we run into that's a governor, that's a a Roman official in this story that's taking care of Paul to some degree. Felix hears Paul's story, and over two years, Paul continuously shares the gospel with Felix. He shares with Felix in hopes that Felix might turn and trust in Jesus Felix all along is hoping that Paul's going to give him some money. And every time they meet, he's like, dude, I know that you have planted some churches where there are some wealthy individuals. And if you would just send some money my way, I'd let you go. I'd set you free. You go plant more churches. Do what you want. Just work the system, Paul. Just line my pockets and then boom, you are free to go. Well, Paul never does. He remains ethical. He keeps his character, his integrity. He will not bribe Felix. And don't think that he couldn't have. Felix is not wrong in assuming there are some wealthy people. Remember, he plants a church in Philippi. One of the first members of that church is a woman named Lydia. And Lydia was a a purveyor of purple dyes and cloths. But Lydia was a businesswoman. Lydia was making bank, if you know what I'm talking about. Lydia did not lack for much. We even talked about Philemon. And we talked about Onesimus. We, We talked about some people who, man, they're some wealthy individuals. They're having a church meet in their house. Paul makes one letter, one text, one phone call. And boom, the money that he needs to bribe Felix is there. But instead, he continuously hopes that Felix will hear the gospel and believe for two straight years. I have to believe that part of that motivation is that he doesn't want to lose the opportunity to share the gospel with Felix. If he bribes Felix, okay, it's seedy, it's underhanded, it's, it's not, we, we, you know, we're not fans of bribery, that's unethical. He could have gotten away, he could have gotten free, but maybe one of the motivations behind him not doing that had to do with the opportunity to share with Felix over and over again. Well, finally, Felix's term comes to an end. And Felix wants to do the Jews a favor because they're probably lying in his pockets. So he leaves Paul there in the prison in Caesarea and this new guy comes in, Portius Festus. And so Festus is going to not be anywhere near as friendly to Paul. And Festus is trying to do the Jews a favor. And so in the midst of his trial, Paul has to say, if he wants to stay alive and not be turned over to the Jews, he has to say as a Roman citizen, I appeal to Caesar. And so that means they've got to take him to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen. You can't give him up to the Jews. Well, that's a a short-term win, but a long-term loss for Paul. So he's in prison trying to share with Festus, I'm sure. Festus doesn't really want to have much of anything to do with Paul until this guy comes, King Agrippa. He's very important, a high leader in the area that Festus really needs to butter up to. And he wants to talk to Paul, he and his wife. And so because Paul is in prison at this moment, at this time, Paul sees an opportunity to share the gospel with Agrippa. So much of chapter 26 is Paul rehashing his Conversion experience. It's him telling his testimony. I know we make that sound very churchy. And I know that Paul sees this bright light and that brings him to Christ. He hears the voice of Jesus. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? His name was Saul at the time. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And maybe we don't have stories that are that dramatic. But it's pretty simple the way that Paul shares the gospel. There's nothing really complex to it. He has a story about how Christ changes his life. He shares that with Agrippa. And then there at the end of the passage, Agrippa says, man, are you trying to get me to trust in Jesus? And Paul's like, dude, I'm trying to get you to trust in Jesus. And everybody that's up there listening, everybody needs to trust in Jesus. I want them all to be exactly like I am. And then makes this wonderful little lighthearted, well, you know, I mean, except for the chains. I mean, I'm, I'm not wanting y'all to be prisoners or anything, but I do hope that y'all will trust in Jesus. The last couple verses that we didn't read, King Agrippa receives the words that Paul says so well that he looks at Festus and he goes, if this man had not appealed to Caesar, you should have let him go. There's no reason for Agrippa to respond so favorably to Paul other than Paul's words made an impact on Agrippa. Everybody else has held him to do the Jews a favor. Agrippa stands the same kind of advantage if he will just condemn Paul. But instead, in the hearing of the Jews, in the hearing of Festus, he says, there was no reason for y'all to keep this man. Paul was the kind of guy who was always looking for one. He was looking for one person to share the gospel with, one person to build a relationship with, even while imprisoned. He shared with everybody he could, but he focused a lot of his attention on Felix. There was something about Felix that Paul said, if, if God could change Felix, look at the impact that he could have. And so Paul, Set aside special time every time that Felix said, "Hey, I, I think I'd like to talk to Paul again." Paul didn't just go, "It's been 18 months. Oh, this guy's not going to believe the gospel. I don't want to go talk to him again." He doesn't go talk to Felix and go, "Yeah, yeah, man. Yes, yeah, great day. Ooh, weather? Yeah, how about the weather? Uh huh. You done? You done with me?" He goes and he converses with Felix. He's having conversations so that hopefully those conversations will eventually lead to a conversion. He's not doing it out of guilt. Well, I mean, I better. I, you know, I'm under arrest for Jesus, so I better talk about him. I mean, it's the thing I'm supposed to do. He's been changed by the power of God and he wants Everyone that he comes in contact with to be changed by that same power. It's not out of compulsion or guilt or force that Paul shares with Felix. He did not have to continue going back to Felix. And then when Festus comes along, maybe Paul could have changed his strategy. I I think if I just lighten up on this gospel stuff, maybe, maybe Festus will let me out. Felix wanted some money. Maybe there's something I can do for Festus and he will let me out. But no, Paul does not back down from Festus. Felix is now gone and Festus becomes Paul's one. I will focus my heart, my attention. When Agrippa comes into the picture, Agrippa becomes Paul's one. Folks, there's a lot of biblical grounding for one-on-one sharing of the gospel. And so this morning, I just want to lay a challenge before us to be like Paul, to find one that we will commit to pray for them, to spend time with them, to have spiritual gospel conversations with them. Now, when I'm saying let's find a one, I'm not talking about picking somebody at random, going up to their door. Huh. Hello, I'm here to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ If my knees will be still I'll be happy to tell you about him and then you never see that person again there's a place for evangelism like that there's a place to reach out and throw the seed and cast it broad and wide but I'm, I'm talking about your family members your friends your neighbors those that live around you who's that one That you know they probably don't trust in Jesus. And how can you make simple changes to your routine to reach out to them? I just want to go through some slides with us this morning, okay? They're they're going to be up on the screen. Follow along. Sometimes you may think, as you sit here, how am I going to pick out my one? How could I find just one person that I'm going to share the gospel with? Who? Who would that be? And, and how do I go about sharing the gospel with them? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go through. First off, let's look at family. Who could love your family members more than you do? We, we talked about this briefly last week, but you go to that family reunion. You have those relatives. Maybe they're very close relatives. Maybe they're slightly distant relatives and you see them two, three times a year tops. How can you take That person in your family that you know doesn't trust in Jesus and don't make them a project. This is not about finding a one that becomes your pet project. It's not your new hobby. This is a person that needs Jesus that we care enough about to make intentional efforts to share the gospel with them. Try and work the conversation around towards spiritual things. If you get together at Christmas, guess what? The whole holiday of Christmas is actually a Christian holiday. Like it is all about Jesus being born. So it shouldn't be terribly difficult to bring the conversation around from what you bought their nephew and what you bought your son and what you bought your daughter to, hey, the greatest gift we've ever been given is Jesus. Jesus. And maybe you don't want to have a conversation like that. But you can find inroads with your family to just have gospel conversations. And maybe it's somebody in your family that you know that right now, even as we talk, the Lord's putting their name on your heart because you know they need Jesus. Maybe it's not your family. Maybe it's your friends. Who are your friends that when something good happens Or something bad happens in your life. They are the people you call. They are the ones that you immediately go to. So last week we had discipleship time at 4 p.m. with the students over in the student building. And I was I was I was run down. I needed to pick me up. I opened the fridge and there's these red Coke cans with black writing on them. Now I, I've never seen a Coke can like this. And then I figured out it was the new Coke Zero. They've already done a new Coke Zero. But now this is the new new Coke Zero with even greater, better taste, you know. I said, OK, it's, it's diet on some level. I, I don't know. There's not real sugar in it. So no calories. So I need some caffeine. I'll just I'll drink one of these. I got one and I put it up in my mouth and I went, oh, my goodness, that does taste a lot better. And so immediately I, I was like, I got to call somebody I gotta, like I don't know what there is about me. But I thought this is impressive. I got to see if anybody else has actually tried this stuff. So there's people that you immediately think, let me reach out to them, even for the most mundane things in your life. If you are all over social media, maybe you're a TikToker. Who's that friend that's on the peripheral? They're they're at the edge. They're on the fringe. But buddy, you see a funny TikTok and you're going to send that TikTok video to them. You see that funny video on Facebook and you're going to share and tag them. Maybe y'all haven't talked in eight or nine months But this is that person that, it's a slightly distant relationship, but you're going to share that with them. You're going to tag them in that picture. You're going to tag them in that post. Even among those friends, I guarantee you there's somebody that doesn't know Christ. And it would be so easy to, as you reach out about this new Coke Zero, that still tastes like a diet drink. Okay. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't, it's diet. It tastes like fake sugar. It's fake sugar, but they, I felt like they made it taste a little better. Even the people you call about that, find a way to turn that conversation to a spiritual thing. You know that this coat didn't change very much, but I, I will tell you something, man, the more I follow Christ, the more I find that my life changes daily. The more that I find that I'm a little bit more like him and a little bit less like how I used to be, you know, from From our friendship, would you say that's true? I mean, I I see that, but that's how I see myself. Have you noticed that in me? And then give them the opportunity to talk to you about whether or not your life has changed. And hear what they have to say. You see, these interactions between Paul and Felix were conversations. It was dialogue. It wasn't just, let me walk you through the Romans road and then you repent. Now there's a place for turn or burn evangelism. I'm not knocking that at all. But if you're sitting down at a restaurant with somebody and you go, you better believe or you're going to burn in hell for all eternity. It's going to be a really awkward rest of the meal. I promise you. There's no way around it. You can take simple things and turn them to gospel conversations. Who are those friends that you got to call when you got good news, when you got bad news, when you've tried something new? Who are your neighbors? man, do we even know our neighbors these days? I can tell you the names of the people who live to my left, to my right, and across the street from me. I know some people that live down the block. The most I see them is when we go trick-or-treating in October. And I try my best to have a gospel conversation, but the last time I saw them was October 31st of 2020. And that time was like a real distant one. Like, Hey, trick-or-treat. You don't have to do candy. That's okay. Yeah. Your mask looks great. I love it. All right. See you next year. I, I that's how we've become, right? We get home, we go inside, we shut our doors, and then it's us. And it, and, and it used to be somebody knocked it up. Oh, somebody's at the door. Let's go see who it is. How many of y'all now, when that door goes, or you hear, bing, bong, you go, why is somebody at our door? Who's here? What do they want? Get your gun. Get your gun. Just in case. Just in case. We all think it. But if you're having trouble finding who's that one person I can share the gospel with who lives right next door, who lives across the street, do you know their name? Do they have a family? Do you know their kids' names? There was the the neighbor across the street from us. They walked outside holding a newborn baby. And Jessica and I looked at one another. And I mean, this is, I'm I'm sorry, this is my shortcoming. This is my failure. I I haven't reached out like I should. I know the names. I know they have a daughter. I know she got married about a year and a half ago. Now they got a little baby. And Jessica and I looked at one another and said, well, I guess they got a grandkid now. I mean, what else are we supposed to think? I don't think, I don't think Miss Sherry had a baby because she's in her late 60s. So that's, that's probably, that's probably not another miraculous conception kind of thing. So yeah, what an opportunity. That I completely missed. To go and talk to them about their grandchild. While they're outside. You see them sometimes. Maybe your one is your neighbor. They live right there. Do you know if they know Jesus? Let's keep moving. These are some quotes from people who have had a one. That they have dedicated time to pray for. To reach out to. I was telling my one this week a story about forgetting to turn the water on to use a pressure washer. She laughed and said, you don't know how to use a pressure washer, but you sure know how to talk about Jesus. This led to yet another conversation with her. This is a quote from Catherine Renfro of Georgia. Oh, that we would be the people. That that's how our friends and neighbors talked about us. Hey, you may not know how to fix a transmission, but I'll tell you what, you don't ever shut up about Jesus. Let that be me any day of the week. I'll take I don't know how to run a pressure washer. I'll take that if the back end of it comes with it. But you sure know how to talk about Jesus. Because Catherine prays for her one, because she moves conversations in a normal, natural way to spiritual things her one knows, let me tell you what, she's going to be talking about Jesus. Look at the next one. I dropped off quarantine goodie bags for my neighbors toilet paper, paper towels, cookies, coffee, and a note letting them know that I was praying for them. My Muslim neighbors called to thank me, and I got to share the gospel with them. We talked for two hours. And you might be thinking, well, that that may work in those city contexts, but come on, Pastor, we're in Covington County. Right. Right. I know people from Asia who are here in Covington County. I know people who are from Ireland here in Covington County. There's people from all over the world right here, even in Covington County. And maybe some of them live closer to us than we realize If you want to talk about how this is just Covington County and that there's no way that somebody from China or India or somebody who's Arab or somebody who's Muslim or somebody from a different faith or different part of the world could ever live here. Just go talk to our friend James Pierce. You can't miss him. He's the guy with the big long beard over here. If you don't know why, go talk to him. He's an introvert, so he's going to hate me for doing this to him. But I promise you, the world is right here next door. Do you know if they're next door? If they are, how are we reaching towards them? The next thing we shared our faith in the drive through this morning. One lady thanked us for the word of encouragement. Her coworker said she wasn't interested. We're praying for her. Later, we shared our faith again with the guys at the garage as we got our oil changed. You know, when you go to a garage to get your oil changed, is it not the epitome of awkward when that guy's standing like you're in your car and he's right out here out the window typing, I'm like, you're this far from one another, and like you're just appreciate you guys uh, doing the oil. Yeah, that's literally my job, man. that's what I get paid for. Great. How's it looking under there? Like a car. Hmm. Yep, I do drive a car. That's right. Why not fill that awkward time with conversation that's meaningful? There's this lady. uh, I just absolutely love this lady. Her name's Jenna. And Jenna used to work at McDonald's. Y'all might have met her. I used to go through McDonald's every morning on my way up to church to get a biscuit. And I'd eat my biscuit on my way up to the church. And Jenna was there. And she saw that I was in a suit. And I'm telling you, this is the most bubbly person you've ever met in your life. Hey there, how you doing, man? I'm so glad you came through. It's 5 o'clock in the dead gum morning. And she's acting like she's been awake for hours. And she's excited. And she noticed I was in a suit. And the second week I went through there, she said, Hey, are you a preacher somewhere? I said, yeah, I I am. And, And she said, well, I just want you to know that I want you to pray for me. And I want you to know that you are a blessing coming through here to me. She does that as her ministry. She's not at McDonald's anymore. She's at Wendy's. If you go through Wendy's and you see a really nice chipper lady. And she's all about gospel. All about God. All about letting you know that there is hope in life. It's probably Miss Jenna. How have I invested in the same way to those people that are serving me my food when I go through the drive-thru? How many of us have even thought to have a gospel conversation in the drive-thru? If you're like me,
1: why
0: is it taking this long to get to this place? Instead, we could be the one person who's not biting their head off. The one person who reacts differently and it leads to a gospel conversation. I love this one, this next one. My husband just told me he wants to be baptized. I've been praying for him every day for three years. I'm in tears and thanking my Lord for his faithfulness. It's a direct quote from Dana in Kansas. Folks, maybe your one is your spouse. Maybe all this that we've talked about you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your one needs to be your husband or your wife because you know they are far from Jesus. And maybe the change doesn't happen overnight, but consistent prayer, you will see the power of God move. Consistently working towards those conversations, you will see God move. The next thing, sometimes a simple text. A simple text saying, how can I pray for you? Folks, this is an extremely powerful question. We've talked about it before. When the waiter or waitress comes to your table, before you bow your head to pray, ask, hey, we always pray before we eat. How can I pray for you? Do you know in all the times that I've asked that, I, I think I've only been told, no, you can't pray for me four times. This is it. But then... Your actions have to back it up. You can't be a terrible person at the table. You can't demand things that are unreasonable and then leave an awful tip. Because let me tell you something, they're not going to want to follow the Jesus you follow if you're stingy and angry the whole time you're there at the table. But how simple is it to ask, how can I pray for you? If you have somebody that is your one, shoot them a text. Hey, I, I, I plan to pray in the morning, part of my devotion. How can I pray for you today? What can I pray about that's going on in your life? I'm going to pray for you. The the implication is not, hey, can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? I'm going to pray for you. I'm giving you an option to direct how those prayers go. The next, invite your one to a non-invasive type of get-together. Take them out for a cup of coffee. Do you know why you say take them out for a cup of coffee? Because somebody can walk away from a cup of coffee real quick and real easy. If the conversation gets real awkward or gets strange, they don't have to commit like, why don't you come over to my house for dinner? I'd love to have you over. I'll grill something real nice for you on the grill. We'll hang out for a few hours and talk about our lives. Just come on to my house and have dinner. Yeah, that's that's a little bit creepy if if you're not at that place in your relationship. When you ask somebody out, you don't go, hey, you're just so beautiful and pretty and I just want to date you forever and ever and for always. Will you please come meet my family? This is not going to end well. If that's if that's your dating strategy, it's rethink it. okay? that's you're scaring people. Maybe nobody's loved you enough to tell you that yet, but you're scaring people. The gospel can be the same way. Reach out to your one and say, how can I pray for you? Don't reach out to them and go, you're dying and going to hell. I got to pray you out of the grips of eternal damnation. And if I don't, then you're doomed. Yeah, That's not going to end well. Don't just a simple text. Build the relational equity to the point where you can say, hey, this is a serious decision. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And what you choose determines where you go for all eternity. That conversation is coming, but pray for them. Lay the groundwork. Paul gave everything to Agrippa all at one time because that was his one shot. He took a lot more time with Felix because he knew he had more time with Felix. Move on to the next one. Send an encouraging note. Now, we live in a society where your encouraging note, all right, is going to be received as sarcasm. Nine times out of ten, especially if it's one guy sending a text message to another guy. If I were to send Clark a text message after church, hey, man, you were looking sharp this morning. Clark's going to go, great, never wear that shirt ever again. That's the last time. I I thought I looked good. I thought I looked good. But now he's going to pick on me. Right now, Clark is thinking, maybe I really should not be wearing this shirt. All right, that's happening in the moment. That's maybe not with ladies, but that's how guys work. I I think I've heard something similar with ladies. Your casserole was delicious. Oh, really? You want the recipe? No, it was wonderful, though. That was just that was great. Thank you. And you eat that at home often. It's good for you. So work your encouraging note in a natural way. And when they come back with, yeah, right. Yeah, you're doing great, man. Yeah, great, buddy. That's how they hear it. So say, hey, I just want you to know, really, you did awesome at this. Thank you. Hey, I I know nobody ever says this, and this may be awkward, but I just want you to know, man, that was great. And if they don't receive it, work up to it. Over time, eventually, they'll go, you know what? i tell you, Tom's just an encouraging person. He's really not making fun of me. He means those things. Folks, the fact of the matter is we have a mission. Paul was always about his mission. There's there's a zillion ways you can reach out to your one. But if we are not reaching out, it won't happen. Look with me at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, some of the greatest news in all the Bibles. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, written by Paul. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. How are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith, saving faith, comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. How does somebody hear the word of Christ? You and I share it with them. I'm not asking you to go stand on a street corner and proclaim that the end is nigh, repent or die. What Scripture is asking us to do is at the very least reach out to one. How can they believe in him of whom they have never heard? 2 Corinthians says that the message has been entrusted to us. I'm not asking you to reach out out of guilt. This is not a sermon meant to make you feel horrible about yourself. It's a sermon that's designed to make you realize that we have been given the greatest message of all time. And there are people who have not heard. How can they believe if they have not heard? Will we be willing to step up to the challenge And take one. And say, I'll pray for one. I'll I'll do what I can. I'll reach out in whatever way I can to at least one. Maybe you're involved in Little League. Your one could be out there on the sports complex. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take this little bookmark. It says, who's your one? You notice there's a place... On the back side of this, to, to write a name in two spots. i got a few names written on mine. The Lord, Lord wouldn't leave me with just one. This bookmark is for us to take home, but this top part, what I want us to do during the invitation time is tear that off. If you're willing to accept the challenge to actively reach out to one, I want you to write your one's first name on the top of that bookmark and I want you to come leave it here at the altar. It could be on the floor, it could be on the table, it could be on the steps. I want you to pray over your one here at the altar and then keep the bookmark so you remember. Keep the bookmark and read through these passages. Pray for them. You'll see books like this sitting right down here on this table. There's some right out there in the foyer. There's some in the credenza right out this door here. This is a book to help us for 30 days to pray consistently for our one. Simple, easy prayers where there can be a journal right there beside it. A little passage of Scripture. Lord, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes points out consistently that life in this world is futile apart from you. No wisdom, wealth, or pleasure will satisfy people like my one. People like my one pursue these things with their lives, only to find out they were overpromised and underdelivered. Simple ways to read through and pray for your one. Come, take a book, take it home with you, use it. Folks, just like Johnny Hunt said in that video. Maybe you and I can't reach seven and a half billion people. Maybe we can't reach hundreds of millions who are lost. But I know in each and every one of our lives, there's at least one person that God can use us to reach them with the gospel. Will you take one? Will you pray for one? This morning, if you don't believe, you can't share the gospel with one if you are one. Would you trust in Jesus today? I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask that you bring and pray over your one. Jason's going to lead us in a song. After this prayer, will you respond to the Holy Spirit as he moves among us? Father in heaven, we thank you that not only have you given us an important task, you've given us everything we need to complete it. God, help us to be bold. Help us to reach those in need of you. Lord, we love you. We want to share the good news that Jesus saves. Give us the strength and the courage to reach out to one. Lord, right now, I pray that you would put the name of each person's one on their heart and in their mind. Make it inescapable for them, Lord. So that we know exactly who you have called us to reach at this point in our lives, in this season and that you might give us the strength and the power by your Spirit to follow through and do everything we can to reach that one. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.